and this is Dom, and you're listening to 99% Chance of Wine Wine and Murder. Welcome to episode 7. Yay! We're getting so close to 10 episodes. I know, I can't believe how fast it's going. It's exciting. How was your day? Oh, don't even get me started. (laughs) Bad from the very first alarm. It's always fun. It was horrible. Classic Mondays. I got pulled over by a cop. I got a $233 ticket. I broke my nail. Just not good. Sounds awesome. (laughs) It's okay. Now we can talk about murder, so your day will get better. Yes. Way better. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I think it's my turn to go first. Yes. Okay. Um, So my murder is about Rodney Alcala. So he's deemed as a serial killer who won the dating game. Interesting. They call him, like, the dating game killer. Never heard of it. Okay, so for most people, September 13th, 1978 was an ordinary Wednesday. But for Cheryl Bradshaw, who was a bachelorette on the TV matchmaking show The Dating Game, this day was monumental. I can't say that word. Monumental? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Embarrassing. Uh, From a lineup of eligible bachelors, she chose one handsome bachelor named Rodney Alcala, but at that very moment, he was keeping a deadly secret. He was a serial killer. What? Yeah. She, uh, if she had not had a healthy jolt of women's intuition, she would certainly be remembered today as one of his victims. Instead, after the show ended, she conversed with Alcala backstage, and he offered her a date she'd never forget, but she got this, like, overwhelming feeling from him that she thought he was super creepy, and she's really uncomfortable. Good. So she told him, she told him no. She said, I started to feel ill. He was acting really creepy. I turned down his offer. I didn't want to see him again. Another one of the episode's bachelors, um, who is actor Jed Mills, said, Rodney was kind of quiet. I remember him because I told my brother about this one guy who was kind of good looking, but also kind of creepy. (laughs) (laughs) He was always looking down and not making eye contact. So, like, the dating game was basically, like, there's a bachelorette, and then there was, like, this like wall and then there was three bachelors on the other side so she just asked questions and she never actually saw what they looked like and then she picked which one she liked their answers like their answers the most and then they like the show would pay for them to go on a date interesting yeah but like had the popular um it was like a super popular show in the 70s um but they didn't obviously perform background checks on the right. bachelors because they would have discovered that this kind of good looking but kind of creepy guy had already spent three years in prison for raping and beating an eight-year-old oh my god and he had done the same to a 13 year old too which That's so sad yeah which had landed him on the fbi's 10 most wanted fugitive list wow um but sometimes a background check can even uncover the whole story in Rodney's case, the whole story consisted of at least four prior murders that he hadn't been definitively linked to yet. Wow. As you can probably imagine, Cheryl's rejection likely fueled his fire. In total, before and after his television um, appearance, the dating game killer claimed that he killed between 50 and 100 people. Holy, that's a lot. Yeah. So he was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1970, or sorry, 1943. His father moved the family to Mexico when he was just eight years old, only to abandon them there three years later. So then his mother moved his family back to Los Angeles. 
At 17, he entered the army, but after a nervous breakdown, he was medically discharged due to mental health issues. Hmm. Um, he was very intelligent. He had an IQ of 135. Um, he went on and went on to attend UCLA, but he didn't he didn't stay there for very long either. He couldn't hold down anything, basically. Right. Um, like many serial killers, he had a style. His signatures were beating, biting, raping, and strangling, often choking his victims until the point of unconsciousness. Then once they came to, he'd start the process over again. What a dick. Yeah. Um, on his first known attempt at killing, he was only successful at two of these. The victim was Tally Sapiro, an eight-year-old girl he lured into his apartment in 1968. She barely survived her rape and beating. Her life was saved by a passerby who had reported a tipped police on a possible abduction. He fled his apartment when the police arrived and remained a fugitive for years. He then moved to New York and used the alias John Berger to enroll in film school um, at the New York University there. Um, so after being recognized, thanks to an FBI poster that was all over the place, mm-hmm. He was finally identified um, in the rape and attempted murder. He was arrested in 1971, but only sent to prison on charges of assault because um, because her family didn't want to make her testify at the trial to like bring it up, so they couldn't charge him with the rape. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but at the same time, yeah, like I feel like if I was that person, I'd be like, "Fuck you." You well, did yeah. this to my kid, but at the same time, I guess you wouldn't want to subject your kid to, like, remembering everything. Well, exactly. Um, and then after spending three years behind bars, he soon spent another two in prison for assaulting a 13-year-old girl. That's crazy. Um, so, uh, the, the authorities, when he was out of jail, let him travel to New York to visit relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and investigators now believe that within those seven days of his arrival there, he killed a college student named Elaine Hoover, um, who was the daughter of a popular nightclub owner, and then she was also the goddaughter of Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, so soon after this, he got a job. He, when he went back, he got a job at the LA Times. I mean, under his real name, like I guess, knowing. People back then, I guess, didn't really look far into things. Yeah. Because now you would never get a job. Oh, there's no fucking way you would (laughs) ever get a job. You'd be fucked. So he was a typist there by day, and at night he lured young girls to be a part of his professional photography studio, which is complete bullshit. Of course. Yeah. Some of them were never heard of again. Oh. And that goes back to him saying on the dating game... She asked him what his favorite time of day was, and he said the best time is at night. And obviously now they know what he was referring to. That's creepy. Murdering people. Really creepy? Yeah. So the year after his dating game appearance, 17-year-old Leanne Leadham was lucky enough to walk away from a photo shoot with Rodney. And she remarked that he showed her his portfolio, which, in addition to shots of women, included included spreads after spreads of teenage boys. Naked teenage boys. Ew. Yeah. So he was not only crazy pedophile, but woman murderer. (laughs) Yeah. And he was, yeah, super, super creepy. Really fucked up. So I guess police had released parts of his portfolio to the public to aid in victim identification because they, like, haven't been able to find who all of these victims were. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And over the years, a few have stepped forward to reveal the horrifying moments with the with the perpetrator, like some people who have survived. Holy. Yeah. So the case would finally break Rodney's killing spree um, was with 12-year-old Robin Samsu. She disappeared from Huntington Beach, California, on her way to ballet class on June 20th, 1979. Her friend said that a stranger approached them on the beach and asked if they wanted to do a photo shoot. They declined, and this little girl left. She was, and then borrowed a friend's bike to get to ballet because she was running late. Mm -hmm. So at some point between the beach and class, and class, she disappeared. Nearly 12 days later, a park ranger found her animal ravaged bones in a forested area near Pasadena foothills. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. So upon questioning her friends, police sketch artists drew up a composite um, sketch of him. Um, and his former parole officer recognized him and told them who it was. Um, so between the sketch and his criminal past and the discovery of her earrings in his Seattle storage locker. Idiot. Yeah. Police felt confident they had their man. But, but with the beginning, sorry, but beginning with the trial in 1980, um, Unfortunately, her family would have to follow a rather long and winding road to justice. So the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder, and he received the death penalty. However, the California Supreme Court overturned this verdict due to the jury being prejudiced. What the fuck? Yeah. Prejudiced how? Well, they they felt um, that because they uh, had learned about his past sex crimes... But that still, they were prejudiced against him and like said, yeah, he definitely killed her. But I mean, they had well, I mean, no okay, evidence. his earrings were her earrings were found yeah. in his unit. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure that is like a really big like like how red bullseye he, right there. How else would he fucking have them? Yeah, and especially since he was the one to talk to him that them that day. Yep. Dumbasses. So then it took six years to put him back on trial. So at a second trial in 1986, another jury sentenced him to death. But this one didn't stick either. What? Um, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel overturned it in 2001. Um, LA Weekly wrote, in part because the second trial judge did not allow a witness to back up the defense's claim that the park ranger who found Robin's bones in the mountains had been hypnotized by police investigators. <laughs> Isn't what? that dumb? Hypnotized. Yeah. Okay. Finally, in 2010, 31 years after the fucking murder, a third trial was held. Just before the trial, um, Orange... Sorry, everybody. No, we're good. Um, so just before the trial, um, the district attorney said that the 70s in California was insane as far as treatment of sexual predators. Rodney is a poster boy for this. It is a total comedy of outrageous stupidity. So during the years he spent incarcerated, he wrote a book called You, the Jury, in which he proclaimed his innocence in the case. Hmm. He contested that the DNA swabs done on prisoners periodically for police department's evidence bank was dumb, and he also brought against, yeah, two lawsuits against the um, California penal system, one for a slip and fall accident, and the other for the prison's refusal to provide him with a low-fat menu. I'm sure he was just loved there. Like, fuck you. 
Yeah. You're a fucking psychopath. They're not going to give you the food that you want to give. You're going to fucking eat what they give you. Yeah. Like, sit in the cell and rot forever <laughs> and eat all the shitty food. So, and then, in the third trial, he announced that he was going to be his own lawyer. Oh, <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Even though now, after 31 years, investigators had concrete evidence against him on four different murders. So he was so just So thanks fucked. to those DNA swabs that they took in prison. So now they could compare it to all of the old. Right. Yeah. So the prosecution was able to combine these new murder charges along with um, Robbins in the 2010 trial. During the 2010 trial, the jurors were in for a bizarre ride. Rodney, acting as his own attorney, asked himself questions, referring to himself as Mr. Alcala in a deep voice, (laughs) and then he would answer in his regular voice. So he changed his voice when he asked questions to himself. That's really strange. Like a total psychopath. It just reminds me of... uh, (laughs) It's so weird. Oh, what's that show called that's about the lawyers? Oh, he always goes, Denny Crane. I don't know. Ah, I'm going to have to get the name of it. Yeah, you're going to look that up. Nate and I are watching it right now, and I can never remember the name. Um, so this question and answer session apparently continued for five hours. He <laughs> told the jury that he was at Knott's Berry Farm at the time of Robin's murder, and he played dumb on all the other charges. Um, and he used a song as part of his closing. <laughs> a song? A song. Yeah. Do we know what song? It says it just says it's an Arlo Guthrie song, which doesn't say which one. I mean, I sh- we should look it up. Interesting. That would be hilarious. Alcala simply stated that he didn't remember killing the other women. The only other witness for the defense was a psychologist, um, and he offered the explanation that Alcala's memory lapse could be equated to his borderline personality disorder, which would also make sense as to why he was changing his voice. Yeah. <laughs> The jury, not surprisingly, found him guilty of four um, of all four charges, um, and then also found him guilty of killing Robin. That's crazy. So, a surprise witness at his sentencing was Tally Sapiro, which was the little girl that oh, he first wow. attacked. So she came back when she was um, older. Obviously, when she was older, and she testified against him. Um, Good. Which is Good for her. Amazing. Um. So there was a, so he was eventually charged for the deaths of Robin Samso, who was 12 at the time, Jill Barcombe, who was 18, Georgia Wixit, who was 27, Charlotte Lamb, 31, and Jill Parentu, who was 21. He's just all over the map with the ages. Mm-hmm. Like he just didn't give a fuck, I don't think. Just women and yeah. girls in general. Um, so since the trial, investigators have continued to link him to many other cold case murders, including two which he pled guilty to in New York in 2013. As of now, Rodney Alcala has not been executed. He sits on death row in um, Coracon State Prison, California, planning an appeal for his third, defen- third death sentence. Creepy. So he's trying to appeal it again. It's obviously not How about um, once they're put to death, you just fucking kill them? Yeah, like once you're on death row, you shouldn't be able to appeal. Okay, I feel... Okay, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) If there is any reasonable doubt that they didn't commit it, then yes, they should be able to like like appeal. But 
if there isn't any reasonable doubt, then, like, fuck, go to hell, buddy. Yeah, well, and I, I just, I'll post a link, everybody, so that you can watch his appearance on the dating game, because it was just, it's, now that I know all this, like, it's so fucking creepy. Weird, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Alright. Your turn. I'm just gonna let everyone know that uh, this does have some, I would say, not so nice information in it about a little girl. So if you're sensitive to that, you may not want to listen to this part of the podcast. So, pedophiles. A vile and nasty word that sends chills down even the world's most heinous serial killer's bodies. Although kids have always been watched after, parents have grown increasingly protective over the years. The story I'm about to tell is just one of the thousands of reasons why. Corrine Gustafson, also known as Punky, was playing in the front yard of a, on a nice day with some of her friends. This would be her last playdate. As Punky and her friends laughed and played, Clifford Slay lurked in the dark corners. After a heated argument with his wife on September 6, 1922 in Edmonton, Alberta, he sat... What? Yeah. <laughs> He set out on a drive to find a girl he already knew to rape. However, he could not find this girl. Yeah, I thought so too. It's cute. He could not find this girl, so unfortunately, six-year-old Punky would become Slay's next victim. While playing with her friends, Punky was snatched from the yard by Slay simply because she was the closest to the fence, which was his reason when he was asked. Wow. Two days later, her tiny body was found beaten and broken in an Edmonton truck yard just nine kilometers from her loving home. Throughout her autopsy, evidence of violent sexual assault and suffocation was found. It was also stated that if she hadn't have died from this, the immense violent vaginal tearing and bleeding would have killed her without immediate treatment. Her clothing had been removed and put back on in a hurry since both legs were through one side of her underwear, pants were on backwards, and her jacket not put on properly, which kind of made them think that maybe he was scared that yeah, somebody like was coming by yeah, and he scared him off. Yeah, he yeah. freaked out. So Slay um, actually didn't live in Edmonton at the time. He was there for a baseball tournament and only fell suspect after his cleats matched the crime scene foot impressions because there was a really big tournament going on that weekend. So when they found the cleats, they started, like, going after all the baseball players and, like, trying to check the impressions. And that's how they found him. Although this happened in 1992, it was not proved until 2003 when the DNA um, semen sample was tested a second time and matched Slay. He admitted to the sexual assault and kidnapping, but claimed she was alive when he left her. And he wasn't charged originally because his family also claimed that the entire weekend he was with them and never left them at all. So they are also partially to blame as to why he was on the streets for so long after. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years on May 26, 2005. Victim impact statements were read by family members, and they were absolutely heart heartbroken. Uh, one thing that did not come up in the trial until after was that he was actually previously convicted for two assaults on young girls, and they never came up in court at all. That sucks. I know. So that was just a short little story today. 
but I thought it was pretty heartbreaking for yeah. especially all the information all the, they gave about her body. And, and that she wasn't even the initial victim. Yeah. Aw, that's so sad. I know. But I mean, I guess lucky in a way for the woman who would have been his victim. Yeah. In a sense, you know, but who knows? They didn't give any information as to like But maybe her like age he would have or, like Yeah, I guess. Did so he was never like arrested until then or No, he was arrested. like it was like four decades later. Then he got arrested. Yeah, he was like in his forties. Oh my god. It was mainly because his family said that they had been with him the whole time and the fact that the DNA machines back then weren't like yeah. really that good. I mean, if, like, I don't know. It's hard to say because, like, if a family member of yours is being asked about killing someone, yeah. like, I, wouldn't you feel horrible? Like, I feel like if, covering no matter who it was, it? like, I would always love them. But I feel like no matter who it was in my family, I would not be able to live with the knowledge of knowing they may have possibly killed that yeah, person. Yeah, that they weren't with me. Like, I would not lie about that. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, if they you know, their family says they're with them, and then they're just, like, like you can get charged for a lot yeah. about that, right? And, and I also, like an I couldn't find any information, basically. like, if they were charged or not. I don't believe any charges were brought to the wife and the children. That is brutal. I know. So, that's the end of episode seven. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> we're so close to episode ten already. I know. I just want to play, I want to play the, the video. Oh yeah, play it. Because then you can hear him talking in it. Okay. It's really weird. And, but also, everybody should still definitely, definitely watch it. To see his face? Yeah. like so 70s. Yeah. And welcome to the dating game. And we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one. And here they are. This is so cheesy. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. Between takes, he might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. That is not what I was expecting him to look like. This is her. Awesome outfit. Why do you say that? 
Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but nighttime is when it really gets good. Interesting. I'm the mom, a teacher, yeah. and I'm going to audition each of you for my private class. Bachelor oh number one. You're a dirty old man. Take it. Come on, over here. What? Is this real? <laughs> yeah. You guys will yeah. have to look up that video. Yeah, it's very 70s. You'll he doesn't it. look as creepy as I thought he would, though. Yeah, I mean, that's why he was, like, so... Like, he got away with so much, because he was so charming. Weird. Yeah. All right. Well, remember, everybody... Keep your wine glasses full. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye.